We are in our Easter series, but this is a series we've been a part of as a church called Read Your Bible, and it has a very simple uh, application to it, okay? This is the, there's one goal of this series, and I want everybody to say it out loud because I think everybody already in here know, mostly know it. The goal of the series was for you guys to do what? Right. Okay. And if you didn't do it, we failed. Actually, you failed, but we failed on, you know, as well. Uh, Because we we just want to encourage you to constantly go back, even though, you know, I know that we put it on the screen and we we share a lot of scripture with you on Sundays. There's nothing like you personally engaging in the word of God on your own and your relationship with God as he wants to reveal things to you. We taught you what it looked like to soap through scripture. This is is not the only way to do it, but just an easy way to pick the scripture out. Look at the observations, pray, ask God to show you what he wants to show you in scripture. How can you apply it to your life? And then pray that by the, by the Holy Spirit, you can actually live that out and you can actually do uh, what he's calling you to do. And so we've been a part of the book of Mark. We've been doing the book of Mark, the gospel account this past month. Uh, hopefully you've been able to read some of that on your own and soap through some of that scripture. Uh, we've been teaching the parables. Now, Mark, just to let you know, Mark's gospel account, he was really young when Jesus would have, would have died, but the best we can tell is that Mark would have had the education, okay, the education needed um, for Peter, who was an uneducated fisherman, to be able to give the account to Mark, and for that there, because Mark was going to be a missionary, he went out with Paul several journeys, um, he, he was a part of the, of the early church, but Mark writes the account, but we believe Peter is the one who actually gives him the information and the context of what he writes in terms of Jesus' life and story, okay? So that is what we're looking at, okay? This is the gospel of Mark, but a lot of this is Peter's uh, account. Now, we've been going through parables, okay? We've been teaching you some of the parables in Mark, which are the way in which Jesus taught so many times. He told parables, he told stories uh, that had a point, right? This This is what we've been going through. But we saved the best for last because today we have something so much better than a parable, right? So it's so much better than just a story. We have the event that changed history is what we're going to be reading today. We're going to be looking at today, the event. And many, many people who view Christians or view the church or who view uh, you know, Easter, they just look at that as like, well, it was written in the Bible. It's a story in the Bible. And it, and it kind of like, they kind of have this idea that, well, because it's a story in the Bible, you know, we're, gonna, you know, we're going to uh, you know, worship and celebrate and do this because of the story. But guys, this isn't like the parables and the stories and things that Jesus made up. This is the account. We have four gospel accounts. We have people outside of the church who have written about who Jesus was in this time and century. And guys, I'm telling you, we have an event that took place long before the Bible was ever put together. And, and for you know, the way we have it, the event changed everything. So we're going to look at the account through Mark of the event that changed everything. If you were a part of us, our series uh, last week, Pastor Donnie uh, shared with you a little bit of the time frame from Palm Sunday. You guys were, anybody here last Sunday? Palm Sunday, uh, coming into Jerusalem, people waving palm branches, laying them down as a royal entrance. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the King of Kings. And then he talked a little bit about how Jesus spent the next week or the, you know, the beginning part of the week definitely establishing his authority, kind of poking the bear, if you will, of all the religious leaders and kind of establishing his authority as to who he really was and what he came to do. 
And that if you were part of our Good, Good Friday night of worship, we had an incredible night of worship where we talked about, you know, what did it look like at the Last Supper and what did it look like in the garden, just sang some songs and kind of contemplated his path to the cross in those last part of the last part of the week. Where I'm going to pick up today as we go into Easter Sunday, where I'm going to pick up today is a little bit in Mark 16 or Mark 15, and this is only because I want you to kind of get where Mark and Peter really wanted you and I to kind of, as the reader, to experience some of the anguish, to experience some of the, the brutality and the humanity of what happened to Jesus on his way to the cross. And where we pick up is basically after he's already had the secret trial with the, with the uh, religious leaders in the night. He's already been brought to Pilate. Pilate didn't see anything wrong with him. He's like, I there's nothing against him. But to appease the leaders, he had Jesus beaten the 40 lashes. And he assumed that that would be enough. He would assume that would quench their appetite. He assumed that would uh, appease them and satisfy them and brings them out in front of the crowd. And yet the crowd, because of the sway of the religious leaders, the crowd actually gets Barabbas and says, we want Barabbas. And we want Jesus to be crucified. And we pick up right there in the story. This is in Mark 15, 16. So the soldiers took Jesus then into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, that was called the Praetorium, and it called out the entire regiment. If you can imagine, basically calling out every soldier who was present, called them all out to be a part of what they were getting ready to do, and they dressed him in a purple robe, that idea of majesty. Again, it's why oftentimes you see the purple sash on the cross at Easter to represent Jesus' majesty, but they actually put him in a purple robe, and then they wove thorn branches into a crown. And they put it on his head. Now watch what they do. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him and they dropped their knees in mock worship, mocking Jesus. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, because we don't know how long that was, they took off the purple robe and put on his clothes again, and then they led him away to be crucified. Mark wants us to see and understand that there was the, the, human, the, the evil humanity there, that like even though Jesus was already beaten, even though he'd already been condemned, that because of who he claimed he was, they didn't want to just put him to death, they wanted to put him to shame. And we know that they, they actually cast lots for his garment, so even his garment, they would normally tear and use the fabric, the, the Roman centurions would get it and whoever put him to death, but they actually gambled away to see who would get his garments. And while he was on the cross, the people pass, passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, could you imagine the, ah, the mockery of, look at you now, Jesus? They yelled at him, you said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. You, you claimed this impossible thing. Look at you now. You get what you get. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. Jesus, you claim to do something that you, no one else could do. Do this little thing. Come down from that cross. The religious leaders and priests, teachers of the religious law, they, 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 they joined in. They also mocked him and said, look, he saved others. They scoffed, meaning, oh, look how he saved others. He claimed to be able to save others, but he can't save himself. Now watch this. Then they say, let, the, let this Messiah, this Messiah, because they'd seen Messiah's claimed 
come and gone. And he said, okay, let, let, why don't you just let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross and then we can all see it and believe him. Again, more mocking. And even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And this is everyone. Now we do know in the accounts that one of the criminals eventually recognizes Jesus and asks Jesus for mercy. Just in that moment. Can I be with you in paradise? Surely you are the Son of God. We know that there was a Roman centurion that when Jesus, you know, after Jesus spoke his final words, it is finished and died. After they put the spear through his side, and he just stood there and he said, surely this was an innocent man. Surely he was the Son of God. We know that people began to recognize him for who he was. And I said, this all happened on Friday. This is talking about the crucifixion, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath as evening approached. So jo Joseph of Arimathea took a risk. He went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. So he brought a long sheet of linen cloth and he took Jesus' body down from the cross and he wrapped it in the cloth and laid him in a tomb that had been carved out of a rock. And then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. And as far as we can tell, they were the only ones who sort of went along to see where Jesus' body was laid. Everybody else had scattered. All the other disciples had fled, worrying that they would share the same fate. On well, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath did end, because it ended sundown to sundown, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Why would they go out and buy burial spices to anoint Jesus' body? Because they expected Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead, right? That's why they did it. But they also understood, like, this is part of the Jewish custom. They wanted to make sure that he was properly buried, that he was properly, his body was properly cared for according to their religion, according to their customs for God. So they were, they were doing as best they knew how. They, they were following God's law and following that custom to be able to do that. And then it says this, very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll the stone away for us? Who, who's going to roll the stone away for us from the entrance to the tomb so they could get to Jesus? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, <laughs> had already been rolled aside. That was quite a sight to see. And I said, then when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe sitting on the right side, and the women were shocked, of course. But the angel said, hey, look, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. So that now go and tell the disciples, including Peter. Now this was a big part of the story, obviously, Peter talking to Mark, because Peter is the one who denied Jesus. Okay? He was the one really hanging his head in shame. He was the one who Jesus would have extra grace on when he would go see him at the beach in Galilee to kind of restore Peter back to where Peter needed to be. He says, go tell the disciples, including Peter, right, that Jesus is going to go ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you he would do before he died. So there was all this conversation that Jesus would kind of let them know what was going on, and they kept hearing it, 
but not understanding it. Right? They kept hearing it, but not understanding it. But here's the angel of the Lord just saying, hey, he is risen. Now, here we go. Ready? Jesus is risen. See, there's all my church people. Right? This is a great call and response that has been happening for a long time. And obviously, we save it for Sunday. Most of the time, it's usually uh, Easter Sunday. But there would be a, he is risen, and you guys would say? Yeah. Or Jesus is risen, and you guys would say? Let's all say it like we know what we're going to do. Okay? So Jesus is risen. What? He is risen indeed. That's right. This comes from Luke and actually goes all the way back. I Seriously, it's a historical call and response that the church didn't save for Easter Sunday. They just said it to one another as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to have this exchange of, of being a Christ follower. They would look at each other, you know, gathering in times and just say, Christ is risen. And then they, someone would say back to him, that's right. All the way back to Eastern liturgy and, and the Byzantine Empire, as far back as this can be traced. Isn't that amazing? This isn't just some weird Western American thing you grew up and you didn't know why your church did it. This has been around for, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands plus years. Where they would have this call and response to celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. Now, because I was soaping through this and preparing for Easter, I was praying through just like you were, just like, God, what do you, what do you, what is, what's jumping out to me? Okay, this is, I mean, I've read the Easter story. I know the Easter story. Many of you guys have maybe even already read it this week or you've soaped through scripture. You shared it with your kids. Maybe you've already, you, you could come up here and tell, tell the story better than I could. It's the same story. It doesn't change. It's not a parable. It's the same event. But as I was reading it, I was praying through, okay, God, and God just kind of led me further down the passage as things just began to jump out to me in observation. Let's keep going. It said after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went to the disciples, right, because they told her, go tell the disciples, including Peter. They were grieving and weeping. Again, scared, grieving, they'd lost Jesus, and, and she told them what happened. But, but when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen them, they, what's the words? They, they didn't believe her. Now, people go into a whole thing about women and, you know, back at their, their plight in this day and not being, you know, they weren't even allowed to be a witness in judicial matters and things. I understand all the, the historical context, but here's the deal. She went to the tomb. He wasn't there. She came back and told him what she saw. This is someone who was close to Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and, it, and they didn't believe her. Keep going. Afterward, he appeared to two, in different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. This is the road to Emmaus, if you've ever heard that story. And then they rushed back to tell the others, <laughs> but no one believed them. Imagine this. Jesus, with these guys, yeah, he was in different form or some sort. He was kind of cloaked and they couldn't tell. And Jesus, can you imagine this? He explains the entire Bible to them. Imagine that. Okay. He like connects the dots for, from Genesis and the Torah all the way to him and the resurrection as he is. And then he reveals himself to these disciples. And the disciples go back and have all this knowledge and all this amazing experience. And yet no one believes them. <laughs> Said still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples, obviously minus Judas, 
as they were eating together. Why? Because they were hidden. They were hiding. They were grieving. They were... And he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. Other accounts say that Jesus kind of appeared to them in a locked room like a ghost. They thought it was a ghost, right? You know, until he lets them touch him and feel him and, and experience that it's him. Mark says he came in and gave him a little, little talking to, a little come to Jesus, quote unquote meeting, right? That's how we get that, by the way. A little come to Jesus meeting where there's stubborn unbelief. They just they wouldn't get it. So guys, as I was soaping through this and reading this, I mean, I just, I had a question that popped out to me, and I was wrestling with why in this moment, it astounds me, why in this moment, people who are closest to Jesus didn't believe after hearing eyewitnesses that he was alive. And here was the question, okay, I'll just give, again, I'm walking you through how I kind of sometimes approach and soap through scripture, but the question that kept popping out to me was this question, who's going to roll the stone away? Right? Mary and Martha are walking down the road and, and they're going to go, they're going to go, you know, bury, you know, give him his final rites and get the burial spices on him. And they're, and they're thinking to their question, like, we can't get to Jesus. Who's going to roll the stone away? You know, we, we can't roll it. I mean, we saw him roll it into place. It's a huge stone. We can't possibly roll that stone away. Who's going to roll the stone? Who's going to let us get to Jesus? And I continued to think through those questions afterwards. As I was thinking about that question, who's going to roll the stone away? Who's going to roll the stone away? And I was thinking about the unbelief that was so quick. I just began to think through this kind of observation slash application of God's word and just saying, what stones are keeping you from Jesus? Like, what's in the way? What or who is holding you back? Holding your faith back? That was just kind of what kind of wrestled with me. Like, there's so many sometimes barriers and stones, if you will, that, that seem to be in the way of people crossing the line of faith, of people finally accepting Jesus for who he is, finally listening to the story and realizing it's not just a story, it's an event. It's the entire foundation of the Christian faith. It's not a parable. It's not a made-up story. Who's going to roll that stone away? And what are those so I just want to walk you through really quickly. This is just, again, just kind of God feeling like the Holy Spirit, because the Word is alive and active, and as I was reading this for the first time, I, just, I was just walking down this path of like, why did people struggle? Why do people struggle? What are the stones that are in the way of people getting to Jesus? Well, sometimes it really is like full-on circumstances and, and experiences that people have had that they feel like they, that separates them, right? That's a stone in the way, very much like the physical stone. Again, I, I look back, and as I was thinking through it, you know, Mary and Martha are having this conversation like, well, who's going to roll the stone away? And in their mind, it was more like an improbability. You know what I'm saying when I say that? Like, like someone rolled the stone in place, but they were just like, well, we're two women. We, who's going to roll the stone away, you know? Not that women can't do anything. 
you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it was an improbability. But the truth of the matter was, it was an impossibility. Why? Because we know from Matthew's account, we know that what actually happened is that the leaders and priests went to Pilate. They said, look, these disciples have been jabbing their mouth off and all about a Jesus rising again and a resurrection of some sort. And we can't, we, look, it's going to be a problem for you, Pilate. It's going to be a problem for Rome if they go steal the body and then have all this brand new heresy and message they're going to keep on trucking with. So Pilate said, fine. He sent soldiers to guard the tomb and to seal the tomb. Now, I took this picture. This is from uh, a movie called Risen. Okay, so it's a fictitious movie, a fictitious story of a, a Roman centurion and how he, he, how he engages with the historical event of the resurrection. Everybody with me on that? It's a fictitious story of a, of a Roman soldier and how he engaged with the historical accuracy of the resurrection. But I loved this picture because it was a beautiful picture of what did sealing the tomb mean. And they went through kind of the, 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 the idea that they would have had ropes and, and iron and, and would have sealed it and then actually put the seal. That's what sealed meant. That there would have been a pilot seal on the tomb door that would have let everybody know this belongs to the Roman Empire. If you mess with this, again, think about what they were worried about. If you mess with this, you are defying Rome. You are defying Pilate. Everything they could do to kind of ward off this idea of, you know, disciples coming. and So that's so, I look at that and I go, Mary and Martha thought maybe it was improbable because, you know, they didn't know who was going to help them. But they had no idea that it was impossible. And every time I kept thinking about the impossibility of moving this stone, I kept thinking about all the times in which Jesus, you know, somebody would talk about something and, and Jesus would say, well, I know you think it's impossible. But with God, everything's possible. This is just one example. This is in, back in Mark. Um, go to that Mark passage for me real quick. Yeah, Jesus looked at them and said, look, yeah, humanly speaking, it's impossible. This is into a specific story, but he said, look, I, humanly speaking, you're right. It's impossible. But with, not with God, because everything is possible with God. And I just started thinking about those stones those circumstances that people feel like, whether it's, you know, their addiction, it's their past mistakes, it's their past consequences, it's their past issues that they've had, it's the, it's the failures in their life that they feel like are keeping them from fully submitting or fully surrendering to God, and, and they don't feel like they can get there. They feel like their circumstances and where they're at and where they're stuck and the things that they're, you know, that are keeping them from them. Sometimes it's just their experience. They've had friends rejected from the church. They've had people that they've dealt with that called themselves Christians who, who treated them with condemnation and judgment and they, they have experiences and their circumstances all tell them that it won't work. That not only is it improbable, but it's probably impossible. And every time I think about it, I just, I go back to the, this is a phrase that I say quite often when I start thinking about kind of like the barriers that I run into in life. And I, I go back to this, this phrase, like all the time, everywhere, God is able. But this is the truth of the word of God, that all the time, everywhere, God is able. Say it with me. Just say it out loud. All the time, everywhere, God is able. Right? This isn't some feel-good, name it and claim it crap. Right? This is what we read in the Word of God. 
It means that there's nothing that limits him. Now, he's not a genie in the bottle. He's not gonna, you can't rub that and just make him do whatever you want him to do. That's not how God works. It's not who God is. But every time you start thinking that there's a barrier based on circumstances or, in, or, or your experiences that keeps someone from Jesus, keeping you, keeping a family member, keeping a friend, somebody in your top five you're praying for, I want you to always come back to that statement. No, 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 that's not what we read in Scripture. Hum, humanly speaking, probably, but not with God. Because all the time, everywhere, what? God is able. A fairly popular stone that people believe and kind of lean into in terms of excuses of what keeps them from Jesus is others' testimonies. And this is, this is a sad reality. I wish, I wish it was true for everybody in this room. I wish that every single person in this room had a positive a family member, a role model, an adult in your life who just modeled grace and, and who lived like Jesus called them to live. And you have followed that example and you've seen that example modeled for you so well. And that you have a healthy, healthy, spiritual vibrancy in your life. And the truth of the matter is that's just not the case for a lot of people. Because the stumbling blocks that have come along the way have oftentimes come in the form of other people who claim to be Christians. Who claim to be followers of God. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a close friend, maybe it was a trusted adult. Sometimes these are the people who, who have caused the greatest pain in people's lives. And you have discounted the message of Jesus. You have discounted what possibly is true because of other people's testimonies. And that's a big deal. And I just want you to know, we, we are warned about that as Christians. We're warned about that potential. This is how Paul said it to the church in Corinth. He said, you must be careful that your freedom does not cause others with weaker conscience to stumble. That your freedom doesn't cause other people to stumble. He even goes on to give a specific example. For others see you with your superior knowledge. By the way, I didn't add those quotes. That's Paul being sarcastic, okay? So that others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol. Won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol? Again, this is a, this is a contextual example. But yet we don't have to go very far, do we? To see examples of every day. Christians just living in their freedom, living in grace, sometimes being an actual stumbling block for others. Because instead of grace and love and absolute hope, you get nothing but judgment and argument. One example is social media, right? Hey, just because you're free to say it doesn't mean you should say it. Hold on, I'm going to say it one more time. All right, hold on. Just because you're free to say it doesn't mean you should say it. And we are warned as, as followers of Christ. We do not want to be, we don't want to be those stones. We don't want to be the stumbling blocks of someone else seeing Jesus. It's why as a church, our mission statement is written really specifically that we exist to, read the two words out loud, to humbly point everyone to the absolute hope who is Jesus Christ. Now, to humbly point, humility is the path, guys. And we need more and more followers of Christ being willing to take the humble path, to put themselves, not put themselves down, but to lower themselves and their pride and their arrogance and their need to be right and their need to flex their freedoms 
in Christ so that they are not a stumbling block. They are not a stone for somebody else who comes to Jesus. Now, I know some people that are worried that their mess-ups and their mistakes and their issues, their addictions, they're worried about selling out, like giving everything to God and and making that known to their friends because they worry that they're going to be the ones that people look at that claim Jesus but screw up all the time. So why is humility important? Well, humility is important for us because we do not represent our mess to other people. We've got to make sure it's not always pointing back to us. But rather, we want people to see, oh, no, we're a mess. We are. But we're representing the grace of God at work in our mess. That's the truth. We are representing the grace of God at work in our mess. So there are times in which God does need to give you an understanding of grace to be able to give to others. And let's face it, there, there's not, it's not hard to, it's not hard, you don't have to throw a rock to find somebody who claims to be a Christian but lives like an atheist. It's not hard to find. But there needs to be grace for that. And there needs to be wisdom and a warning for the God's people that we do not want to be those stumbling blocks to people either. Just because we're free. Just because our freedom. It, it, several times Paul will say, do not use your freedom to serve your sinful nature. You use your freedom to serve others in love. You use your freedom to humbly point people to the absolute hope of Jesus. Here's another stone that just, I, I have personal friends and family members who just struggle with a personal skepticism and doubt that they cannot shake. Hear, hear me say that with grace. There is personal skepticism and doubt that simply, uh, uh, one conversation, three verses, so forth and so on, like just because you don't struggle with it doesn't mean somebody else doesn't struggle with it. There's something there, internal, that they can't seem to shake. It is a rock, it is a stone in their path. And so the verse that always comes to mind it's told in different contexts in Acts and in Matthew, and <laughs> I love this verse. This is right here at Jesus' final ascension. Jesus ascending into heaven. The 11 disciples go to Galilee. Remember, he said they were going to be there, so the disciples go to Galilee. There's a group that follows, and they're going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them, what's the word? <laughs> I'm so glad scripture is real. I'm so glad it's honest, right? Even though I can't fathom it. I don't know. I do not know what the ascension looked like. I don't. I don't know if it was an elevator, a tractor beam, a fire ring. I have no idea. But I still can't imagine Jesus. He was supposed to be dead. He's not. And then he's gone. And somebody going, I don't know. But guys, I'll be honest with you, I have so many personal friends and family members who have seen, I know, I know they've seen God do incredible work around them. And there's something in the way. And they can't see it. There's a stone there. And if that's you, I just, I just want to share this with you. Listen, just bring your, bring your doubts to God. Bring your doubts to God. He knows exactly what you need. 
Okay, he does. He knows exactly what you need. Hear me say it clearly. Not what you want, okay? What you want is, again, what you want, what I want is a genie in the bottle. Okay, you want me to believe in you? Do this and this and this for me. There we go. That's what we want. We want God to explain the, the mysteries of the universe to us so that we're the smartest people in the world and we can answer every single question a skeptic and somebody who doesn't believe in God has. That's what we want. We want to know why some people die and some people don't. We want to know why there's war. We want to know why good things happen to bad things happen to good people. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, these are all the things we want. But Jesus knows exactly what you need. You guys remember Thomas, the disciple Thomas? <laughs> Jesus, as Mark said, Jesus shows up in the room to give him a little spanking. You know, what's wrong with you guys? But Thomas was one of those guys who said, I, don't, I will not believe, I don't care what you guys say. I don't, I'm telling you, unless I can see him, unless I can touch him, I will not believe it. And Jesus comes into that room and he goes right to Thomas. And he says, go ahead, touch. Touch the hands, touch the side. He knew what Thomas not just stated, but what he needed and what they all needed. You could bring your doubts to him. Bring your skepticism. It doesn't, don't fall for the lie in our culture that your doubts and skepticism make you a weak person of faith and you need to move away from God. That's not true. Bring your doubts. Bring your skepticism. He knows what you need. So I went back to the question. Sorry, I got a little rabbit trail. But who rolled away the stone? We all know the answer to this, obviously, right? But I'm going to read it anyway because that's what I do. I'm the preacher. I read scripture. All right? Who rolled away the stone? We'll go to Matthew's account. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and he rolled aside the stone and sat on it. I just love that picture. Right? I'm sure there were a billion other places to sit, but this is Matthew's account. He sat on the stone. He goes on to say, his face shone like lightning, his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Guys, God rolls away the stone. God rolled away the stone. And the reason that we got to remember that is because, again, so often, when we start talking about faith or what's going on or why people don't believe or what we're doing, we, we come with a lot of man-made solutions, a lot of man-made ideas on how to try to sell Jesus to people and try to convince people and how to argue with people and all these things. And guys, I'm just telling you, there may be stones in the way. Maybe it's you accepting Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's you, you're a follower of Christ, you've been coming to church, but you're not living in the fullness of God that you know you could be and you know that you should be. Why? Because there's some stones in the way. There's something keeping you from the closeness of Jesus, but God can roll the stone away because that's what he does. He rolls the stone away. It's his job. And all the time, everywhere, what? God is able. And this is, listen, we, uh, the great joy of being on this side of the, of the cross, looking back, is that we get to see it in Scripture. We see it every single time Jesus brought it up. You know, this is just a few examples. Here's, here's John. Jesus said, the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I can take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. Jesus wasn't a victim. It was a sacrifice. He said, I sacrifice it voluntarily. Why? 
I have the authority to lay it down, and when I want, I have the authority to take it up. This is what my Father has commanded. He's sharing with us with the disciples, like, like God's got a plan, guys. There's a great old, there's a great country, uh, kind of old sounding country. It's a new worship song, but it's got a country fla- uh, flair to it. It's called "Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down." You guys ever heard that one? Ain't no, ain't no grave. We don't sing it because I can't sing that thing. But anyway, like this, it's a great song. Because we see Jesus was constantly telling them, it's not going to happen. God will roll the stone away. Trust me. He comes back. This is a, there's another passage in John. He says, look, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Even though death is going to exist and continue to exist, you will, you will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. What did he mean? He means he's the author of life. Because he died and rose again, he now has life for you. And even though death exists, and even though cancer exists, and even though your mental illness exists, and even though that chronic illness exists, you're not going to get away from those things, but you can have life in him. Because he's the resurrection. He says, I'm going to rise again. This is what Tracy talked about earlier in Revelation as we sang that song. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living and the dead. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. So the challenge today is just don't let any stones, don't let anything, keep you from Jesus. Don't let anything hold you back. I want you to hear that. If you're someone who's never crossed the line of faith, you've never accepted Jesus, stop making excuses. Stop thinking your circumstances and the experiences that you've you've gathered make it impossible or even improbable. Stop using other people as an excuse. God can bring, you bring your doubts to him, God can help you work through your skepticism and you can still follow Jesus. Don't let anything hold you back. You know you're a Christ follower, but I'm telling you, you, there's some of you guys, you have not surrendered your whole life to him. You know, you haven't surrendered your marriage and your kids and and your careers. You've not surrendered that to him. You like to compartmentalize your life, and so your spiritual life is here, and you've given that to Jesus, but everything else you're still doing in your own strength. Don't let any stone hold you back from Jesus. We believe that God can roll those stones away. The the, the author and creator of life, the the creator of mountains, you think a stone was going to be a problem for him? You think the author of life and any stone you have is going to be a problem for him to roll away? No. And we say that with confidence. Why? Because again, we base all of this not on a story, not on a parable, not on a cute little fairy tale. We based all of this on the evidence, the gospel evidence that Jesus came and gave his life for you and for me and voluntarily laid it down and took it back up again and rose again for victory, as we've been singing this morning, victory in Jesus over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And we can now have a relationship with him 
Please don't let anything hold you back. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I just, um, I, I'm, I'm just thinking that there's probably more stones, there's more things that I just didn't even think through as examples, God, that right now you are prompting on people's hearts. You are, you are by your Holy Spirit, actively just, just, just making them aware of some of the things that they have, they have seen in their life that's holding them back from you. God, just by your Holy Spirit right now, we just want to confess that to you. And if there's anyone in the room or online and, and they, they've never taken that step of faith, received the gift of salvation and freedom that comes from your resurrection, God, they can do that this morning just by praying this simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I've been trying to do this on my own and I can't. I need you. I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And I want to follow you. That's it. They can just say that prayer and take a step into a relationship with you. God, there's people here and online that have already made that confession of faith, but God, they're just, <laughs> something's holding them back. There's something holding them back. God, may they confess that today. Whatever you're prompting them with, confess it today. And you will roll that stone away. You will bring that freedom and you will bring that life because you are the resurrection and life. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.